talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, right around Australia. Welcome to the Drops Kickoff for another week. I'm Nick Wasiliev, and I am delighted to have your company this beautiful Tuesday evening at the time of recording. Um, and we're in a state of zen. We're in a state of calm and happiness because we have just come off a wonderful weekend of Super Rugby Pacific. And I'm joined by some of the usual suspects once again to talk about uh, this wonderful round of weekend, uh, wonderful weekend of rugby that was. Uh, first up, Jack O'Rourke. Jack, how you doing, man? Feeling very good. Yep, back in the winner's circle. It's nice. Yeah, it was. We, you and I were lucky enough to to go down to the the Task Crusaders game. We we ran into a, a couple of other boys uh, from the Rugby Draft podcast and the uh, Pick and Drive Rugby podcast as well, and enjoyed a wonderful game there. Um, God, yeah. it was good to see such a crowd. Um, at Leichhardt yeah, Oval, all the, the all the all, all the rugby podcasters were out in the woodworks up on the <laughs> hill having a few tinnies. It was a it was a great vibe going around the going around the game. Still didn't see the rugby report card boys. Don't know where they were, <laughs> but uh, we won't throw shade here. Uh, I'm also joined uh, by the marketing pigeon himself, Nathan Hartman. Nathan Hartman. Let me do that again. <laughs> Nathan Williamson. <laughs> Take, take that again. Take that again. No, take that again. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll uh, take on another card. I might. <laughs> well, he's he's a merger of two characters, rather, Mister Nathan Williamson. Rather, how are you, Nathan? I'm doing good, mate. I was I was in the open air media box at Wycard watching it all go down. Oh, what a game to be at, and just what a weekend as well with everything that's going on from the year at the sevens. You got the World Rugby in camp now. You know, we're on the verge of potentially getting a World Cup next bid next week. Like. Life's good being a rugby fan at the moment. Oh, it is. So, like, it, there's such a state of, it's just, it, life feels good in the world. It's, I think this is the most optimistic that I think a lot of folks have felt about the game. Like, first of all, Super Rugby in years, but just stuff in general. The boys, every single team showed up. It was, we were treated to such a fantastic round of Super Rugby Pacific, um, and on top of it, just seeing every single team perform, win or draw, every match was super close, um, and the crowds as well, like we talked about. The Drua match, the the fans out that were at ANZ Stadium in Suva was something yeah. really incredible to behold. And then we pretty much we found all the all the lost Kiwi fans who haven't been turning up to uh, to games in New Zealand. They were here in Sydney all along when they turned up to Leichhardt Oval. Um, even the Brumbies Hurricanes got a decent turnout in Canberra. Um, it was a it was a fantastic fantastic round of rugby, um, and I think you know for a lot of people probably signalled the arrival of this comp as a as a real legitimate way forward for this uh, for Super Rugby. It's fantastic. Um, let's dive into the questions and topics that we'll cover this weekend. We have a, a lot to cover, as Nathan alluded to. So first of all, question one. Let's talk about uh, the roundup of the weekend of Super Rugby. Question two. Let's also talk about that sevens win. Our our girls are back in golden form, uh, having knocked off uh, New Zealand in the final over the weekend to win. I think four of the last five seven competition sevens uh, sevens competitions. Absolutely fantastic. Question three. 
Uh, we had fixtures for the Wallabies and the Wallaroos announced um, over the last week or so. The Wallabies with the rugby championship fixtures and the Wallaroos with, first of all, their kind of international games, but also the Pacific Four series leading into the World Cup. We're going to have a, a deep dive into them. Uh, Wallabies, we're kind of going to make a discussion on on you know where they'll be playing the some of the interesting selections of where they'll be playing uh and also we'll do the ask a similar question for the wallaroos of these test matches that they have coming up what is a pass mark that we'll give them question four uh similar to our last podcast where we dived into the depth that uh, the wallabies have in terms of the props and hooker position this week we're going to look at locks uh what's happening in the engine room of the scrum how are we stacking up for the england series Question five, we'll do a little mini Q&A. We're gonna, we got a couple of really fantastic questions over the weekend uh, leading up to uh, the, us you know, getting ready to produce this podcast. So we're going to dive into some of the questions that we got from some of our audience and see what they have to say. Um, and then, of course, we'll finish off with some predictions for round 12, which is already shaping up to be an absolute beauty as we start to head overseas. We start to head to New Zealand and hopefully we can grab a couple of wins there and maintain the rage. So, question one. We've got a lot to talk about tonight, boys, and let's dive into this round of Super Rugby. Um, what a round it was. Kicking off, the Reds just went down to the Chiefs in Brisbane, 25-27. The Force pushed the Blues, who were supposed to be top of the ladder, which is this was a game that really surprised me, 18-22, and they could have won it at the death. Uh, it was an amazing game. The Drua um, uh, played a fantastic match against the Highlanders. The Highlanders claiming that one. 24-27. The War and then of course uh, we've been alluding to we've, we were all there for this one. The Waratahs defeated the Crusaders at Leichhardt Oval 24-21. Rebels picked up a win against Moana Pacifica 26-22 and then finally topping it off the Brumbies cruised home. Well, did came home and resu- and survived a good fight back from the Hurricanes to win 42-25. And uh Wallaby so- Australian sides finished with three wins. New Zealand sides finished with three wins. It's a Interesting time to look at uh, to look at uh, the competition as a whole. Nathan, yeah. how are we shaping up? Are you su- a, a bit surprised that uh, we were able to bounce back so well after after Super Round? I wouldn't say surprised. Like, I mean, we showed we can compete in that Super Round. I mean, you look at a, a Waratahs side that was down essentially your prop and hooker with the inside five minutes and still got back to 30-28. A red side that was 17-0 down and then all of a sudden just lost it at the end. Brumbies beat the Highlanders and the Rebels showed they could match it with the Crusaders for 40 minutes. Force, obviously, we didn't really get a look at, but they, I mean, they'd shown enough in their close losses that they were going to take it to the Kiwis. And, I mean, this was just, this round was just, just showed that, you know, as much as the Kiwis like to kind of say it or wanted to believe it, the gap's not that far between the two teams on two sides on their best days. Like I think speaking speaking to a couple of clubs today, it's interesting to note that the, you know that difference of styles. All of a sudden, the Australian teams are, go, are recognizing that. Hang on a minute, we're doing we can we've kind of built this game plan and built this style that we can look at what other you know Israel teams are doing and saying, hey, this worked for the Reds. Let's try this against this team, or this worked for them. Let's do that. And it's starting to see that result and start to see that sort of come to fruition on the weekend. And you know. No team was better at it. I know we're going to talk about it probably a bit later as well, but no team was better at it than the Waratahs. Just breaking down the Crusaders, playing their own style of rugby. They weren't they weren't perfect. They've they've already said that you know it was a brutal review to do even after a win. But like they got a result, and then the Rebels get a result, the Brumbies get a result. You just feel this momentum start to build, and all of a sudden, 
you look over the Kiwi side and they you start they start, you know, second guessing themselves whether they can actually go through and you know, whitewash them as they wanted. So it shapes up perfectly. It does. What I was most impressed about was the depth this weekend. Um, you know, we've we've there was a lot of players that, you know, were either missing or suffered from from injury. Uh, we only have to look at the Waratahs and the issues that they've had with the with Hooker, uh, with Parecki and and Horton both out to injury, and even the the replacement Hooker that came in, uh, Mahiva uh, Vialanu, was absolutely fantastic. He had a really fantastic game um, and basically didn't look out of place at all um, in that side. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. It was, but just the the positivity that that they were brought to the to to games where. You could tell that the boys really just felt like they actually were like, no, we actually genuinely believe that we can win these games. Um, that is something that is so wonderful. It's like it feels like the that little one percenter that we know that they've been capable of for years, but just now they're actually starting to execute on it and play to that potential. Jack, I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna ask you a, a, an impossible question, but um, to kind of kick us off straight into into the topics of, of you know individual team performances from the week, but. You know, who stood out to you? What which, In a round where every team really showed up, which match was the one that really blew you away the most? Yeah, I think I think you touched on it. Just just the fact, like, regardless of, you know, New Zealand versus Australian teams, just that the comp was so close this week. And I think if we can have more rounds like that going forward, then Super Rugby is, like, in a really good place. It's, it becomes an attractive product with all teams, you know, vying for for the competition spots and, and being really competitive. I think, um, but in terms of like the match of the round, I, I still got to say the Brumbies, like the way they um, handled a Hurricanes team that made a fight back and, and, and you know, that's that's dangerous territory for for any for any Aussie side when you're playing New Zealanders, that, that they're just able to hang in there for the full 80. And they, you know, they have this mentality of playing 90 minutes almost where um, they're not, they're never, they're never done. They're never out of it. So you know, there was moments in that Brumbies match where it looked like the Hurricanes were were mounting this sort of comeback, and for the Brumbies to then push on and and put on a couple extra tries right at the end of the game is is, is huge, especially for for the competition stakes and and the ability of the of the Brumbies to shut out teams, which are, I think really posi- is really positive. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, let's go out on a limb on a point you just make here. Um, I'm going to put forward a, a bold, sweeping statement kind of question to to both of you. Would we say that that you know, because we've Super Rugby's gone through you know many forms and iterations over the last two or three years. Of course, pandemic influenced, um, and and of course, rugby politics influenced. Do we feel like that was the first? proper round of super rugby pacific does that what is that what it feels because that's what it felt like to me on a on a personal just pure rugby fan level uh, it, uh, this felt I like think this, it's yeah yeah i think it's the the one this weekend is probably one of the best examples of how super rugby could become this premier product um it was a lot to like there was close games there's great tries um everyone was you know, trying to get out there and entertain. And I think it was a, a great example. It was probably, yeah, the the best example of, of what Super Rugby could be. And and I think go, go, moving forward, especially when, you know, next year I'm really looking forward to the comps, just all the teams just being 
together in one one format and playing you know one week we'll have Aussie sides and Aussie versus Aussie, Aussie sides, New Zealand sides versus New Zealand sides, and then Aussies versus Kiwis. And I think all that great mixture week in, week out can is would really balance the comp moving forward rather than um, this, you know, sort of Australia, you know, the Super Rugby Oz, then the Super Rugby Trans Tasman coming over. When it's all mixed in together next year, I think that's a really good product moving forward. I think also when you combine that with the fact that we finally got to see Fiji and Fiji. As you, yeah. as you guys kind of alluded to, yeah. it, it's always been that kind of ace up the sleeve where you've, you've never known. There was talk that there was sluggish ticket sales in the lead up to it. You never knew how big it was going to be. But to see all the crowd get behind it, so much so that we now have a second game in uh, at Churchill Park against the Chiefs, I think, in round 15. You All of a sudden seeing that noise, having, those, having a Fiji side in Fiji playing this comp, that's all of a sudden out the difference maker when you compare it to other codes. That's not something the AFL, NRL, A-League can offer is that, is that real passionate Fijian fans and having a true, or a true international um, comp. And when you couple that with knowing that Moana Pacifica will probably play, hopefully will, will play games in Apia, Samoa or Tonga, somewhere like that next year, all of a sudden you, just, you start to see the vision and why people push so hard for this Pacific comp. Think so? Yeah, it just it just yeah, that'd got, be great. It, yeah, it just felt so like it, it it felt like real. I felt it just felt complete. So everything just slotted into place, and it just felt complete as a comp. Um, and it was offering something like you mentioned, Nathan, that that other comps don't. Um, but within you know rugby internationally and you know domestic or international or within other codes, it just felt. It was amazing. It was, and it just felt so. It felt so new and exciting because you have all these fantastic teams, and you're playing in on the, you know, at Pacific in Pacific, uh, for you know, with those Pacific Island nations. But at the same time, it felt like you know, playing at Leichhardt Oval on a muddy hill, um, with Waratahs playing the Crusaders, rivalry that stretches back to 1996. Um, fantastic stuff. Really is. Let's let's talk about each of these te- uh, each of the Australian teams' performances, um, yep. really quickly because you know, even even within the losses, there is a lot to to, di- to, to dissect here. And first, let's talk Reds, uh, who went down 25-27 to the Chiefs. Um, obviously, there's you know been a lot of talk about what's been going on with the Reds right right now, and it's been announced earlier today that Taniel Tupo is going to miss the rest of the season due to injury, which is obviously a huge loss and we really hope that he's okay and we'll be back in time for the uh, for the England series. Obviously, uh, the, the Reds have more than just Taniela Tupo, but God, they must be in a weird place right now, Nathan, wouldn't they? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. I mean, you, they've realistically competed in two games and come away with no wins. So you have to wonder what it does to their confidence. I mean, hopefully they can get him back for the finals. Um, you know, Likewise with James O'Connor, but... They just seem like a team just down a bit of confidence. Uh, what sticks out was I remember having a chat with um, uh, Noah Alessia um, during Wallaby's camp, and he, he touched on the fact that last year when they they went went to the Christchurch and played the Crusaders, and they just I think they lost on the bell. He had a kick to win it or kick to draw it after the bell and missed it. Yeah, and he just said that from them it just sapped their confidence, and I just wonder if that seventeen 
when they were up 17-0 against the Hurricanes and let that slip, if that's just sapped their confidence to sort of close those games out. I hope not. I hope this is just down to, you know, it's a team which is miss, still missing a lot of players, still have plenty of troops to come back in at the right stage of the competition and are prioritising the finals. But, you know, it just looked it looked un- uncharacteristic with just a... They went for a kicking bombardment-style game. It just didn't suit their style. So, I mean... I let's just hope that you know Highlanders this week they can really kind of rectify, kind of pull it back, take a couple of deep breaths, go back to the style they're playing, and all, and just build that confidence once again. I think it's good that they've got the Highlanders coming up. Um, in all honesty, I mean not not to not to show any disrespect to the Highlanders, um, but obviously as we we we've talked about it for much of this round of this round, which is you know for, you know if discussed in Super Rugby, which is you you've been worried from the get go about the Highlanders, Natho, because. You know they had such a tough run of it, and you know, true to your predictions, the only games that wins that they've managed is uh, is you know the win this weekend against the Drua and Moana Pacifica, um, and even though that you know they'll they'll likely be happy to have some wins on the board. I mean, you're coming up against a very strong red side, that you know that this red side is still good. This red side can still win games. This red side has shown that they can beat Kiwi teams, but it's just a confidence thing. Jack, what were your thoughts on this match? Do you reckon... I mean, there's still a lot of positives to pull from this game, surely. Mm. Yeah. Look, yeah, they're down They're down pretty bad at the moment, especially with some key injuries. Tupo, O'Connor, they're missing some big-time players and they're missing them just at, just at the wrong time. Um, but I thought, yeah, I, I thought they did well to um, stay in the hunt. But, you know, we've seen it a few times. They've just sort of gone off the boil. Um, during the game. I don't know whether it's fitness or a bit of a mental edge or, or what, but yeah, it could be that confidence factor that Natho was talking about. Um, but yeah, I thought they did, did well to stick in there, especially um, with the tactics they were playing. But I think um, when you have someone like Lawson Crichton coming in, it's only his second game at that um, super rugby level at, at fly half, you know, everyone wants to put the blame on him, but the guys around him have got to step up the likes of, Stewart and Paisami, um, and and Jock Campbell. He was he was really off that game. So um, a few, you know, a few. There, you know, Thorn goes on about he's he's been building this for a couple of years. So these guys have been in the same system for a while. So you can't call them, you know, these these rookies anymore. They're they're experienced campaigners with four years of Super Rugby under their belt. So that. These sorts of games, when you're missing some big guns, that's the that's the time where these guys have got to step up. And um, I, I, I think they just went off the boil a bit. Um, it was it was as a tight affair in the end, but I don't think the the Reds, you know, quite looked like looking uh, looked like winning until till uh, you know late in the match. I mean, it was good that they were able to try and, and come back and try and steal it. But again, you know, it's a, it, they're chasing the game for a, for much of it. Um, going into the, this weekend against the Highlanders, let's let's do a little prediction, like a one kind of a two pointers on for, for each of these for, for these performances. Question for both of you: What's one big positive that the Reds can take into this game, and what's one thing that you think they need to fix? I guess uh, starting off, I guess the big positive is just as I think Jack brought it up perfectly. It's just the way they've kept in the fight, the way they're really just still battling even with injuries and setbacks coming down. Um, the thing that they still need to fix, um, I mean, it, look, it didn't, 
I guess this, it's going to be tough without Tupo, but it's going to be the scrum. And I think we'll we'll raise in the point later. But they got they got dominated by the Chiefs. It just even with Tupo on, it was struggling outside of a early penalty. I mean, that's where that was, you know, their go to weapon when they were trying to put Australian teams under pressure. And I don't know whether it's just you know constant changes at, at, at whether it's hooker or across the front row. It just it needs to get fixed if they want to compete against the Highlanders. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it is a difficult one, and I think maybe the the you do have likes, you know, of, of Harry Hooper who uh, who can who can stand up, but um, you know, he's it, it is a it is a difficult one. But they've just they've relied on on Tupo for so many years to hold up the squat to hold up the uh, the scrum there. And I worry it may have, it may come back to bite them, um, unless of course you know the the front the forward pack can put something forward. Jack, your thoughts? Yeah, I think they can be, you know, confident in the fact that um, they've got even with their injury list, they've still got some really quality players. They've got a, a number of you know internationals, Harry Wilson, Fraser McWright's been on fire. So you know, once they can start to 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 click, even with their injuries out you know, try and get settled, um, make the changes they need to make. I think they can still um, hang in there with, with the best side. So um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a real confident point for them. Um, what they need to improve going forward. Um, I think just uh, what I touched on earlier, maybe that some of their senior players now that, that they need to step up in the absence of, of, of O'Connor and Tupo and take control of the match. Um, Tate McDermott, he's been playing awesome. So he he he's someone that the rest of the team can look to um, to lead them. Yeah, I hope so. I do hope so as well. The big one for me is discipline for the Reds because, I mean, they had two boys go to the bin. Um, so they had to play 20 minutes of that game, uh, you know, with a, with, with a one-man disadvantage. Um, so I worry about the discipline of the, of the Reds. And I hope that it doesn't start mm-hmm. to slide again because um, they have been working for a while to get that fixed. Um, and I hope that that's that they, that they do that. Let's talk Force Blues. Um, Force going down 18-22 to the Blues. Yet, um, yet again, I feel so sorry for all the WA fans. Um, yet again, another incredibly close match decided by a margin of five and less that the Force lose. Um, what's going on here? Uh, Jack, I'll throw to you first. What's... Like we obviously the force are you know clearly yeah. in the fight and they're they're playing against the top ranked the top level team in the comp the the team that's coming first but what happened here? Oh, I th- I think the the force did well to to hang in the match. You know, all of a sudden it was it was ten minutes to full time and you're wondering, wow, like they're only they're only behind by a couple of points and um you know that last ten minutes Blues just defended their guts out so um. They were hard, hard nut to crack. Um, I think, I think when some of the replacements came on from the force, they sort of lost a bit of momentum. You know, Isaac Fines was great all night and got subbed off, and there was a bit of disruption there. So, um, no, I, I, I think they can be pretty proud of themselves to hang in the fight. But um, that last five minutes, when you know they were close on the on the Blues line, they were. They, I think they went for twenty. 324 phases and just couldn't crack that blues defense. I think they'll be really disappointed that they they couldn't they couldn't get the job done. But 
it was a great vibe. It looked like a great vibe over there in Perth, and and that and that's I think that's a performance that the spectators at least can be proud of. It would have been a cracking game to see live. Yeah, it was. It was a great game, and again, like force the force depth is just really showing. They've got some really great talent in there, and they've picked some really good, uh, some really good you know selections there. I really liked the performance of Kunzel. I thought he really did well, yeah. and Matayele. Yeah, yeah Matayele is just terrifying on the wing. Like, absolutely terrifying. He's been such a great pick for them. Nathan, what this is, it's becoming a bit of a habit for the force now. Um, they've how many losing bonus points have they had? They've played, they've been playing some really, really good rugby this year. And to only pick up for, for only two wins, um, you know, is it what's what's going on? Do you reckon it's just that that lacking of a winning edge? What's what is. What do you reckon is the is the solution here? Let's let's talk again. Uh, something they need to look at, but also a positive to take from the game. What are your thoughts here with this force performance? Just, it's tough for him. Uh, just look him up now. Five losing bonus points in ten games. Like yeah, it's and the, the, their points differential isn't actually that bad for the fact that they're you know two and eight or nine now. Yeah, two, two and seven with a negative twenty. Like that's that's yeah. pretty good. They just keep losing by like a minuscule amount. <laughs> I mean, I, to be honest, I, I like the way they've, they've, you know, hung in that game. They looked like they were going to get blown out in that first 40 minutes. But so the way they were able to just kind of stick tough with the Blues and really, really test them was nice. I mean, one thing I, I am going to focus on, yes, Kunzel had a great game, but it, it's they, they've got to sort out that goal kicking it. I mean, I know mm, that, that's yeah. kind of... That's the way yeah. they, they miss prior on that, yeah. That, that's you know we talked about how good Fines was and he he was he was I I th- I thought that he was their best player but the downside of playing him is you rely on Kunzel who I mean has kicked them to one of their two wins but missed three conversions one which the third one which was pretty kickable to hit the post you then go down by four camp yourself in the Blues half and you get a penalty twenty out like. That would have just now one of those conversions. You're not all of a sudden having to go. Geez, we got to go for a line, or we got to go for a scrum and hope for the best. They could they could have very much easily won that game just by sim- simply if they kicked the conversion, kicked one of those earlier conversions, points to the sticks, send the ball to Kunzel or even Pry, who was on the field at that stage, and go. All right, we'll kick three, we'll win the game. Simple as that. I, I think if you're gonna if you're going to compete with the Kiwi teams, it's been brought up so many times. You can't give them, can't give them any inches. You can't give them that op- those little opportunities, those little windows to survive. And that's ultimately what they gave them, but with not being able to sort of make those conversions. So I mean, that's the big thing for me, which is very uncharacteristically forced. But it's if you want to start fines, you want to win games. That's what you got to sort out. Agree, Jacko. Yeah, I'd say something you know, something that they can be proud of is they 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 they've built up this squad this year, and it's looking really good. And I think they just need a few more more pieces um, to you know compete at at this level. But I think something to work on is just closing closing the games out. They they had opportunities, and and just their execution and and some of their decision making was just a bit off, and and that that shut them out from from a few more. Um, few more points yeah it's it's it is i think i completely agree with you it's just decision making really that's really all that is separating this force team from you know from being two and and seven or two and nine and being potentially 
you know, six and, and <laughs> having yeah, six and wins, potentially. And the last couple of, the last couple of minutes were just a, a perfect example because they were, you know, they had the opportunity. They had, you know, they, they got marched up the field into into um into their territory. Um, you know, had a had a won the line out with were five meters out and they just went one out off the ruck and, and ha- Justin Harrison said it at the time. He said, you know, one, one off the ruck is, is not going to do it. They needed it a bit of create creativity, a bit of, um, you know, different, different choices in attack to, to really break the blues defense open, but blues just held tough and were just able to repel them time after time. Cause they could just set their line and, and, and knew what was coming. So. Yeah, exactly. And it's not going to get any easier for them because next week they host the Crusaders um, this coming weekend, which will be a, which will be a tough game. Um, let's talk yep. Waratahs. The Speaking Crusaders of, will be angry. They, and they will be angry with good reason because uh, let's talk about this game, this Waratahs-Crusaders match. Um, heading into the winning the winning matches, uh, Waratahs again prevailing 24-21 in front of a packed crowd at Leichhardt Oval, which was fantastic. Um, like... I mean, I know you mentioned Natho that you know the, the Waratahs will will still be chasing perfection because Darren Coleman is a perfectionist. He will look at performances and pick holes all through it. Um, but God, what a match! Like you, you got to be happy with this, um, particularly I mean, you know Edmed. Let's talk about let's talk Edmed as well because what a game this was, wasn't it, Natho? Oh, it's incredible. Like I mean. And yes, they're naturally going to pick pick holes in the performance. But I mean, from a fan's perspective, you got to that. I was trying to speak in the media box with the other journos. Like when what twenty fourteen was probably that grand final was probably you know the last yeah. last great World Cup performance we saw like this. I mean, Edmund was great. I mean, it's interesting. Ed, Edmund Edmund's got a great story. I mean, the 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 son of a Bowman legend. Uh, ironically, one of the yeah, we talk about all the guys that go from union to league, but he's he was actually he's actually done the reverse. Growing grown up playing league at Leichhardt on, on the second oval, you know, only started playing rugby union at Trinity, got signed out of got signed out of high school, now comes and delivers on the ground that he's his dad made his name, had all his family and friends, and you could see the emotion afterwards, what it meant to him. Yeah, that like, that that post match chat, oh, that's like. That yeah, that's was, like fairy tale stuff. That was awesome. That was like, that was his legacy. That was him making his own name. That was no longer his, the son of Steve. He is, he is Tane. That's, he's his own player. And that was, you know, you could see he, he really wanted to set the scene, scene early off that first, I think it was first or second scrum where he just went, no, I'm going to run it straight. And instantly got him over the advantage line for Peach to run through, which was a set play because they, they'd recognised that the Crusaders were a bit lazy getting back. And from there, it just kicked into action. Mm. I will say one, one other thing I did like from the World Tars. Um, what I did <laughs> like was, like, this was a performance that all of a sudden wasn't, uh, wasn't so heavily relied on Michael Hooper, which is what we've seen in the past in the World Tars. Like, sure, you watch his essentials that first try he, with that clean out. He... You know, everyone wants to talk about what, you know, we talk about Edmund's influence, but I would argue Hooper's was more, he's the rapid nature gets that breakdown and cleans it out. He sets that try up. But, you know, you have all of a sudden have Charlie Gamble, who's this ball hawk over the ball, who allows Hooper to just be his defensive weapon. You know, he goes down 
15 minutes late, 15 minutes to go with a pretty ugly tackle from the Crusaders replacement lock. And even still, there was enough experience in that side to be like, all right, we can calm this down. We can mm. play this game, control the pace of it. And we, they closed it out. They weren't, mm. you know, a Waratahs team, you, you talk about, they talk about this reset. And, you know, people criticised it because, you know, oh, it was basically the same faces coming in. But it was that reset of we don't have to rely on one player to try and get us home. We can learn how to win. We can learn how to close out games. And that's that's what stood out the most to me from this is you got a world-class team throwing everything at them at the end, and this young Waratahs team found a way to do it, even without the Wallaby skipper on the field. Yeah, it, it was a really – it was it – was, I was just so impressed. Again, these youngsters, it's – all it took was just this right approach, this right mentality, and just a whole lot of guts – agree with you completely about Gamble. Like, there are a couple of instances on, you know, and maybe it was the beers talking, um, but I just thought to myself there was a steal or a, or a turnover, and I thought it was hoops, but it was Gamble. It was Gamble doing the work, um, which and it's just such a lethal combination of the two of them together, um, watching those two play. Um, they've, they've really made, they've really turned the whole ex- uh you know, fight at the breakdown around um, just with the both of them together, um, and the and the ability to, to really push off the game line, um, and their strength is just absolutely fantastic. Jack, what were your thoughts on uh, on this? Who was the big the big standouts to you? Was it uh, was it Edmund, or was there anyone who uh, was even understated in some of the stuff they did? I thought it was yeah. Jed Holloway goes strength to strength. He's got to get a look in at the Wallabies level this season after after some of the performances he's been putting in he was strong through the middle again as you touched on gambles all over all over everything that that back row is looking pretty good with will harris coming off at the bench and then um i thought it was marky mark one of marky mark's best games um parise was was just uh you know devastating through the midfield lalakai for i think he he you know he's not getting enough of, uh, but I thought he he was great as well. So they all just sort of clicked together and, and, and we're a real unit and especially on defense, just just shut down the, the Crusaders attack just so so well by just binding together and, and making sure that there was there's no holes that they could punch through. Yeah, let's let's ask a quick question about the Crusaders. Do you think it was because I mean normally, you know, they're the Crusaders. It's a it's an established uh, you know, b- way that they always win. They all, they're always the, the, you know, they are still seen by many as the benchmark for Super Rugby, and you know, even rug, you know, broader rugby in general. Um, some some folks, and, and I will not name names, but a particular uh, international New Zealand player said that it, oh, it was a, it was a weaker team, or you know, it was a, it was a side that was missing Mich- Richie Mawanga. Um, you know, it was to be expected. Do you think so, or do you think it was that they? Because I mean, they definitely came back in that second half yeah, very no. strong. Um, do you reckon it's? Yeah, there were what? there were times in that match where you know it, it was a, there was a danger that the Crusaders were were fighting their way back into the match. But I, I don't think you can you can't say it was an understrength t- side. They yeah. they swapped, you know, in especially in the midfield they swapped one All Black for another with um with um Enel coming in for Goodhue, or was it the other way around? I can't remember, but. Um, but they, you know, all, all the people that they brought in were, were international standards. So that's just the, the, the depth of the Crusaders and, and their rotation policy. I think, um, you know, 
Scott Robertson, he would have loved to have Moanga, and I don't, I don't think that was his call, which is surprising because Moanga didn't start for the first two weeks anyway. So I'm, I'm not sure why he had to be arrested. But um, I, th- I, I think if you ask the Crusaders coming into that match, they would have been confident um, without Richie anyway. Um, such as you know that the power of that Crusaders system. So I, I don't think you can say it's a understrength team. I don't think that's fair to the Waratahs who. Who put in a who put in a great effort? Like this is I'm sorry, this is a Crusaders team which had Sam Whitelock, Pablo Matera, yeah, David Harvey, <laughs> Jack Goodyear, Seve Reese, Will Jordan, um, Ollie Yeager, who probably probably finds his way into a All Blacks 23 as well, and potentially George Bauer. Like, come on, Cody Taylor, if I didn't mention him. Like, come on, yeah, I agree. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, come on, this is like, a stupid argument. Richie, sure, Richie Mawanga's out. Yes, he's a great player. We, and, you know, um, uh, Blackadder, Ethan Blackadder as well is one of their best players as well. He's out because cause the rest of it, which, yes, Scott Robinson put it this way. He, he was asked a question and said, you know, oh, it's all part of it. Or, you know, we don't regret it. La, 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 la. Walked out, walked out of the press conference and said, it was not my choice. So he, you could tell he was not happy to do it. But, like, you know, they, they, rest, they rest four All Blacks. They bring two in. You know, this is... <laughs> This is still a stacked team, and this was a, still a, a game they they were confident they were going to win. And yeah, you can't take that away from a great Waratahs performance. I, I mean, yeah, I I agree. To any any you know a, a disputing Kiwis, I mean, you have several, you have Reese on the wing, you have Jordan in the back line, you have you know Havili, and I think like saying oh it was all Michiranga is a real uh, disservice to Fergus Burke, who is actually a really good player. He's a really good replacement, and then let's not even talk about the fact that you have Pablo Matera like one of the best loose forwards walking the planet um, in your side. Uh, and, he, he, and he was very good on Saturday night. He and he was, was very good on Saturday night. Like, I feel like it's... Uh, if, if this was a, a B Crusaders side, this B side would beat most A sides in any regards anyway. Um, it's a, I think it's a ridiculous... It's a, it's under it's under underappreciating the the performance that the war that the that the Waratahs had. Um, let's let's move quickly on to the Rebels game because I'm aware of time. Uh, mm-hmm. Rebels Moana Pacifica. Let's uh, let's do a quick a quick chat on on this one. Uh, Nathan, your thoughts? I just thought it was nice. I mean, like it's been a theme of the Rebels over the past couple of weeks, but just to see that fight and heart at the end. They're they're looking like a team with confidence. They're looking like a team which. Can get can now close out games, and all of a sudden, like we we talked we talked at the start of the essentially start of the year, doom and gloom around them. But I mean, they're getting they they're getting all their wallbies back, and they're looking good. They're also seeing, I think, it was a point we made made at the time as well. Like your Reese Hodges, your Andrew Callaways, um, your Michael Wells, these type of characters, Rob Liotta coming back, are really stepping up. I like especially Reese Hodge. I think he's he's been the underrated player. On this, on this past fortnight, like I think he's had two great games. He's just flown under the radar. And you, but you then look at you know Carter Gordon at ten has a good game. All of a sudden, it just starts to come together, and you're like, okay, this is why there was expectations around this team. And I think that's the that's the most pleasing thing to come out of that Moana game is just seeing that come together, and all, all of a sudden seeing, all right, this is why we expected this team to be decent this year. So that that's me was what stood out against Moana Pacifica. Yeah, I think so too. It was, I mean, it's been no secret, particularly whenever Dylan's been on the podcast, that there has been a lot of disappointment around the Rebels this year. But 
Well, credit where credit's due. I mean, we we thought they were going to get a sixty point shellacking during Super Round, but they, you know, they they fought hard against that Crusaders side, and there was a, there were positives to take from that game, even despite the the loss. Um, and this week, I thought they were better for it. There was a, I think Chipper Hansen, you know, did a great job, uh, you know, at hooker, and and Hodge, like you mentioned, had a fantastic game. Jack, what were your what were your thoughts uh, on this performance? Do you, what's what's something positive they can take from this game, and what's something they need to, to 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 take moving forward? Because they are heading to Eden Park next week to to face the Blues, which yeah. is no easy assignment. Yeah, that's tough. Um, no, I, I think uh, the Rebels have really course corrected in the last couple of weeks leading into the the Trans Tasman crossover, and they're putting in a lot a lot better performances, and I think. You know they're they're on the right track. I think that it won't be their year this year, um, but there's plenty of positives to take from it. I think um, you know my my big thing is the experienced players stepping up, and I think they have. Um, I, I was critical at, of them at the start, but I think you know Hodge, Kelloway, um, the guys in the forward pack, uh, Wilkins been playing out of his skin, um, Cobos Eloff, he's you know. <laughs> He's providing some grunt up front, so there, there's a few key pieces that are all working together, which which are looking good. Um, and I think it was uh, Pacifica round down in Melbourne, so they they had some awesome looking jerseys, um, and they were, they were really really schmick. Um, but yeah, uh, it's good to see. You know, unfortunately, Tamua is is out, but it's good to see Carter Gordon um, get time in the saddle in, in the number ten, and he and he pulled off the, the probably the try saver of the year. Um, on Lincoln and the Clutchy, right when the right when the game was in the balance, and um, Moana Moana Pacifica had uh, a lot of opportunities to to steal that match, and they just couldn't uh, convert, especially right at the end, just just uh, wrong wrong option, just kicking it out, and and the Rebels, you know, it didn't go out out on the full, and Rebels got it and kicked it out, and that was the end of it. So you know, it, it was there for the taking for. Moana, but uh, unfortunately they couldn't get it over the line. Um, so uh, I think it's a important confidence-building win for the Rebels. Uh, uh, they'll take a lot out of it, but um, yeah, they'll, they'll need to be stepping up to a whole another level if they're going to take on the Blues in Auckland. Do you think that it's possible, Nathan? Do you think that uh, that the Rebels can can spring a surprise and and really make this a contest? I mean, obviously, for full disclosure, yes, of course they can because they are they do have it. There is a good side in this Rebels team, but considering where they where there are, you know, are the positives that they're taking and the things that they need to work on enough to to you know potentially even pull off? You know, is or is an outside win a chance here? Yeah, why not? Like, I mean, that's what the last week's taught us. Like, I mean, this, I don't think this this Rebel side is, and they'll admit it themselves. Like, they haven't played at their best yet, and they weren't they weren't at their best against Moana. But, like, I mean, this is a team that's just all of a sudden growing in confidence. You know, first trip to New Zealand in nearly twelve months. They're gonna live for the occasion. Maybe face a blue side, which might think, all right, this is gonna be one of the games where we just try and rest players with a nice eye to the future, look at a team like the Warriors and go, you know, we competed with that team for 80 minutes and they beat the Crusaders. Why can't we Why can't we do what they did and beat the Blues? Like, I think they'll, they'll go in with a bit of confidence and fancy themselves for a bit of an upset. 
I certainly hope so. It would be it would definitely put a smile on 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 many an Australian's face if uh, if our currently worst ranked Australian team actually no sorry they're they're above the force now aren't they on the ladder if uh, if they pull off a, a win against uh, against the against the Blues, um let's talk about this final match uh, of the round uh, the Brumbies winning forty two twenty five over the Hurricanes um and you Nathan the first thing you said after the after the final uh, after the whistle was blown was that you know in, even though we were <clears throat> you know three wins apiece uh, with us and the Kiwi sides, obviously including the, the, the Drew and Romana Pacifica games. We actually, as a result of this of this margin, we actually outscored the Kiwis this round um, in terms of points difference, which was a fun, petty little small win, which we got over them uh, in, a, in a funny way. Um, Jack, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on this match? I reckon, you know, decent crowd out in Canberra. Um, a solid performance uh, against a pretty yeah. good hurricane side. There's there's a lot of t- positives to take from this match. Yeah, Sunday Arvo in in Canberra looked pretty nice. Um, yeah, they were just. It, it was good to see an Aussie team, you know, really handle and and outplay a New Zealand team. It was it was quite refreshing to see. Um, they're just such a a, a good group, and their and their depth is just outstanding. You you bring on. You know Scott Seo's in the form of his life, and then you bring on guys like Slipper, um, who can who can take over, and it's just that continuity that they have um, to to be able to finish off matches late in the game. Um, I thought uh, Luke Reimer was outstanding. He he um, he won a crucial turnover late in the game, and but you know can we talk about the performance of Valentini? He was just a off the charts. He was on yeah. another planet. <laughs> um, really, really strong carries, um, doing some damage both in attack and defense. I think he was in a line out or two as well. He's just all over the park. And then, you know, put to cap it all off, he, he put in that little grubber and it was, you know, it was like a horse race um, r- running for the line and, and just getting fingertips on it to, to score one of the, probably the try, this, try of the year, especially from a forward. That was some outstanding work. So, um, yeah, they're all just really clicking. So hopefully they can keep that momentum up. It's it's the real difference between them and the Reds right now. Both sides have got amazing uh, talent and and growth and show that they can win games for days. But the Brumbies just unlike the Reds that that confidence that they're uh, they're exhibiting right now, they genuinely believe that they can win games. Um, <clears throat> And it was fantastic. There was an amazing bit of, of media from the Brumbies social media team, uh, which highlighted, uh, you know, them chatting to all of the players and then going down into the changing rooms after that game, but also players hanging out with the fans afterwards. And just that mindset they were in of, you know, we're happy with this, but we can do better. We're happy with this performance, but we know that we can do better. It was just really positive stuff to see um, from that side in a performance that, you know, most, you know, standard rugby fans would be very happy with. Um, you know, I certainly was. Natho, um, your thoughts on this? Who was the, the the standout players for you, and why was it also Rob Balantini? It's just just what a man. Like I think that that's what <laughs> I just saw. I reckon that play summed up the round for me. It was just it, uh, you know seeing what's in front of you, going you know what we're just going to throw caution to the wind and see what happens. Catching the Kiwi, catching the Kiwis off guard. A much fancy Kiwi in leave with Garden Bash at the Hurricanes fly half. That just that just kind of. I don't think he was expecting to be outgunned by Rob Valentini, but that's what happened. And just finding a way to get there. I reckon it summed up perfectly, but outside of what Jack brought up, I love the Rhymer pick, by the way. He's 
he's really just come coming in as a finisher. He did against the Highlanders as well, getting that a crucial turnover to seal a game. Um, Nick White, I think, just keeps getting better. He's he's someone who just really seems to lift against Kiwi opposition. Uh, Darcy Swain just remains a menace at line-out time. Mm. The, like, generally watching him swim yeah. through a mall and collapse it is art. I is he the? Is he probably the best mall defender in the comp right now? I would say so. Without oh, a doubt. I'd, I'd put my heart inside the world. I I, I, <laughs> rate, I, I rate him that. <laughs> I rate him that highly. That's 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 my bold take for the episode. I just, he's just he's just so good at it. He just finds a way to get through, no matter what what teams try. I love that you describe it as art. Does <laughs> it though? It is. It's an thing. art. Like. And, you know, that might be the second hour of me talking, but, like, he does it with such ease. And that's mm. what I love about it. I mean, outside of those guys, Tom Wright in the wings was also sold as always. But, I mean, Ire Simone, I, for me, the second mm. week in a row, he's led the tackle count. He really seems to set the scene for him in that back line. You know, made a key break to set up Jerome Brown's try. He's just – he really seems like he's sending a message. Like, it's almost yeah. like he knows once he goes to France <laughs> – he might not. He might not. This might be his last chance to impress Wally selectors. So he's just giving them a taste of this is what I can do. This is what I can bring. As so a just kind of that last push to get picked for the England series. So I think there was there yeah. was plenty of Brummies that stood out. Mm. Yeah, yeah, especially an an Icky Tower that that center combination with Simone and and Icky Tower. He was just putting on huge shots all game, and that really disrupt disrupted the uh, the Hurricanes attack. You know. Jackson Jackson Garden Bash have had a had a tough day because there was just so much traffic coming coming at him while he was trying to trying to play make and and Icky Tower was just you know picking off his outside backs and just smashing them. Yeah, it was a it was a, a tough day for the Hurricanes. Um, I won't lie. It was a that even though I think the likes of Jordy Barrett you know did have some a strong performance, but we will get to you know a couple of things about him how he was you know particularly that issue around the the. The tackle that that uh, you know that he had later in the game, um, but uh, yeah, it's a it was a fantastic performance. But here's a real question for you, and on the topic of you know things to take into this upcoming week, Brumbies are heading off to New Zealand. They are going to to Waikato to to face an informed Chiefs side. Um, God, I reckon this is the match of the round. In all honesty, Chiefs first Brumbies in Waikato. What are Chiefs we, are what? Chiefs are a really good side. Like they I feel like they're flying under the radar a bit. They're they're deadly. Definitely, that's a great shout. Yeah. So, uh, what do we reckon the Brumbies need to do to win this game? What's the What's the big thing they need to work on? There's There's obviously going to be work on, and so they're still getting those combinations back. With I think Alessia's only two games back. Banks is one game. It's just there's there's just stages where they just they let teams back in the games. They did a good, that kind of 10-minute period before halftime. You know, let the Hurricanes back in with a pretty soft try. Highlanders started to make a comeback around that time. Maybe, I think it was early second half. So I think it's just that period, that 10 minutes before and after the break, they just kind of need to tighten up and just not not allow Chiefs to come back in and really sort of have a sniff of this game. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, you know, the Brumbies, especially their outside backs, can get a bit cute. Um, start throwing a bit of some some loopy passes or you know flick balls or something. So you know that's something they can tighten up and and especially against the Chiefs that will exploit you know counter attack. Saw it with the Reds. Um, 
on Friday night. So yeah, that's something they can definitely improve. Yeah, agreed. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting round, and we'll, and we'll talk about the upcoming round and make our predictions uh, later in the pod. But I'm, I'm aware that we've been speaking for an hour on nearly an hour on question one, and we should probably dive on to to other stuff that happened because a lot of stuff has happened uh, over the last you know. Um, over the last weekend or so. And let's start with the sevens. Um, for all of you who missed it, uh, the, the the Australian women's sevens team won in Vancouver over the week, so in, in Langford rather, over the weekend. Uh, you know, um, And having mentioned at the top of the podcast that they, they'd won a whole bunch, no, I, I must correct myself. It was their first World Series title since, uh, since 2018, uh, winning with a try after the siren to beat New Zealand 21-17. Um, and let's and let's all have a shout out to to Lily Dick who put on one of the best performances uh, in a gold jersey for the sevens teams uh, with this performance. Uh, Jack, did you get the chance to check out this game and what is going on with this uh, amazing women's sevens team? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that that final was amazing. But they they already had the series um, wrapped up just by just by uh, making the final. So um, it was it was awesome to see them you know overcome new zealand in, in the final like what a what a way to wait what a way what a way to wrap it up so um you know new zealand would you know sort of just just coming back but they they, they were looking deadly and, and to win it you know last gas last minute last second um yeah they, they've been they've been on fire all year and and they've drafted in some some new girls and some fresh blood and and they're really they're really taking to the circuit, you know. You got, you got the likes of the uh, the Levi sisters, Maddie Ashby, Faith Nathan, all all these younger girls. Uh, Jessie Southwell was just drafted in for this um, series, and she, and she's one for the future. She's a gun. I think she's only 16, 17. Um, just and, just and she, seventeen. There you go. So yeah, she she's one for the future, and and all these all the, all this fresh blood, and 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 with the coaching swap of um, Tim Walsh back to the back to the women's is has been proven to be a stroke of genius because they're all rallying around him and i think this has been one of the best aussie seven sides maybe even national rugby sides in the last you know 10 years they've they've put in an incredible year and, and they've still got a fair bit to come commonwealth games is this year and all this sort of stuff so i'd love to see him go strength to strength especially um now that you know New Zealand, Fiji, the likes of them are back on the circuit. Yeah, I reckon that was a that was the most impressive part about it. I mean, the only thing that uh, that was a dampener on the series up until this point was the fact that while it was fantastic to see our girls just kicking ass and winning, you know, in Dubai and Seville and, and then in Langford, but the one downer on the whole series was the fact that that New Zealand hadn't got to play until uh, until Langford, and the girls showed up and it was fantastic. Um, Nathan, who who stood out to you um, in this win? This 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 women's team is absolutely stacked. Um, you know these they've gone through you know the triumphs of of the Commonwealth Games, uh, you know the wins in 2016, and then you know they've had a, they had a couple of tough years uh, following that. Um, but do you reckon now they're back with a vengeance? Uh, and do you reckon that going into Commonwealth into Commonwealth Games territory, would you say that dare I say it, the team to beat? I think they have to be. You you win four out of five legs of a World Series. I, I love the fact that, you know, this was supposed, supposed to be a re- rebuild year. And they've gone, no, nah, we don't rebuild, we just reload. 
as Jack said, they've brought in so much of the younger talent that really showed up in the final. I mean, we're touching it, but, you know, Matty Levy, who's only 20, gets over, gets over the ball with three or four seconds to go to get a penalty. You know, she, they, they make a break. You know, Charlotte Castleek, once again, incredible player, just steps up in the big games. She's amazing. That, <laughs> She's just, so good. <laughs> just watching her play, like, some of the she best does, yeah. rugby I have ever seen. Um, he deserves to be a global superstar. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, she, she's incredible. And I mean, also, Shani Williams was great in the final as well. Someone who kind of mm. falls under the radar with all these young young talent coming through. But I mean, as you say, you know, you have the, the Catholics of the world throws a ridiculous cutout ball that that's perfect for the toy, who's only 24. She then finds Dick, who's 20, who's, I think she's 22. She makes an incredible break and scores. All of a sudden, you have these younger... It's these younger players that are stepping up and, you know, taking over and winning these games for Australia. I think it just sets us up perfectly for the future when we were kind of looking at, you know, Tonegato goes, Parry goes to the 15s, you know, Dalton and Elliot Green go. You kind of go, all right, what's going on here? You know, you appoint a young captain, Demi Hayes. It was kind of unproven as a captain, but always had that talent. And, but all of a sudden you you come through and it looks so promising. Like you, there's so many in this squad, you know, that we haven't even touched on. You know, Southwell's 17, Faith Nathan 21, um, even um, Alicia Lafer Fakosili. I've butchered the pronunciation. I'm sorry, but she, she's only 21. Biana Toretti, Sarah Parkey, under 20s, under 20 and so 18 and 20 respectively. Like this is a team that is set up for the future for next next couple of years and you know having tim walsh back i mean you know we must credit john Menenti with the work he did to get him get him here in the first place you, we can't forget he won i think two or three tournaments with him at least so he did a great job but having tim walsh there who's a proven winner as well so having those collaboration between the two coaches like they they're setting up as the team to beat heading to what's a stacked year with the com games and your world cup it's just a really exciting exciting period for the team and you know arguably one of our we're going to have potentially have this claim as one of our most successful national teams regardless of sport in 2022 yeah absolutely and I like especially considering that there is you know there is not only just growing momentum around the game for women um you know internationally with considering just how successful that the the six nations was uh the women's six nations but the fact that, as we'll, we'll touch on in a second, the, the fact that the Wallaroos, uh, you know, are not only coming back on the field, uh, you know, in, in time for the World Cup, but they're coming back on the field and they're playing six warm-up games, um, which is, you know, a proper... In, they're getting a proper international season this year. Um, I hope that, you know, this women's sevens team can lead the charge. And, you know, it's it's going to be fantastic to see them, you know, to see how they go. They've got one... Well, they've got one... Uh, uh, you know, uh, World Series left in Toulouse, regardless of where they place, um, they will finish uh, as winners, as champions of the competition. Um, I worry that my only worry is they may take their their eye off the ball in this in this final in this final match. What do you think would be a good, uh, you know, a good performance or a good result for them? Another trying to win it again, try and pace themselves for the uh, for the Commonwealth Games. Um, what are your what are your thoughts going into this this final series in Toulouse, uh, Jack? I'll throw to you first. Oh, look, I think yeah, I think they've got to 
got a plan for the rest of the year. They've got a huge schedule coming up. So, um, you know, if they can make the quarters or semis, even I think that that'd be a great result coming off the high of, of their series win and, and maybe test out a few other girls, um, you know, cycle in a few players and, and see who's ready to, to, to go to the com games. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge year in, in, in seven. So, um, they've, they've got to be, they've got to be careful and, peaking at the right times. Yeah, uh, Al, as a as a famous NFL coach said, just win, baby, win. That's got to be where they're going to go for. Like <laughs> with New Zealand coming back, you can't. We can't afford to all of a sudden drop a game to them and you start having those doubts. Like this is a team which has, like, yes, they're going to be trying the quality. They're trying the different pieces out, trying maybe players that are more on the fringe. You know, bring back a Teagan Levy. You give someone like a Chakaya Whitfield more time, but nah, they've got they've they've shown they've got the talent across the board. They needed they need to make a final. They they've not not they need to. So that's a, that's a bad word to say. I generally reckon they have the talent. You could rest a couple of players, they could still make a final. Such as the depth going through that program. Yeah, and and how good would it be to pick up another win against a against a New Zealand side heading into that series uh, heading into the Commonwealth Games you pick up two wins on the trot against them especially after the fact that and I think I know where I got my stats wrong that they lost Australia had lost their last five championship finals to them um to New Zealand and of course let's not even talk about what happened in Tokyo uh in you know uh, at the Olympics so you know getting another win against them at least uh would just be such a a shot in the arm for this already high-flying side going into uh, going into the Commonwealth Games. Such exciting times for women's sevens rugby, um, and it's and I cannot wait to to watch them develop and grow more. Um, and off the back of that, let's also talk about the upcoming games in the international fixtures for 15s, 15 aside. So first up, we'll talk. Uh, the Wallabies, with the rugby championship fixtures being announced, uh, they'll be playing, uh, you know, of course, two games against South Africa, two games against New Zealand, two games against Argentina. Um, but the locations of some of these games have certainly uh, have certainly surprised a lot of people. Um, Natho, um, what are your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, on this game <laughs> uh, on these uh, on these fixtures, particularly? The decision to play Adelaide Oval, which is a big, uh, which is a you know, you know, a very interesting decision. It's the first time they've played a match there, I think, in over a, over a decade, a decade, I believe. I believe it's two thousand four was the last game they played in Adelaide Oval. Yeah, um, I get a lot of those. I think it was a combined Pacific team. It was a weird, it was a weird team like that. But you know what? I like the move. Like I think rugby falls into old habits of being. Again, as the Western Australians like to call us during the, during the whole force kick out the East Coast elite, like they're not the, <laughs> they're not the East Coast Wallabies. We got you have to spread them around, and you know, I get everyone in Brisbane are going to be upset that they can't get multiple tests, but like in Queensland, you got six last year. You know, be happy. To be honest, be happy with that. Like you guys, you guys have been pretty sport when it comes to test matches. Particularly, this is coming from a Sydney side of guys. Like I, I love that this turned into like a yeah, suck at Queensland. You, you're not getting one this year. Deal with it. <laughs> I did mean to go that route, but you know, it just made that. <laughs> no, in, like in all, in all seriousness, like yes, I, I get why we want to be playing games at Suncorp. It's where we've traditionally played our best football. We have a streak there. You know, particularly against the South Africans, seeing the really struggle there. 
but I think for these tests, you've got to try in these different areas. You've got to try different things. You know, the Thursday test for, for a New Zealand game, I don't mind. Give, give, gives you that free free air. You're not competing with, you know, your AFL and NRL finals, which will be going on the same time. You know, Adelaide is another way to just tap into a new market, especially with a World Cup coming. Like, and I think it's a good move. You've got you to try, sometimes try different things and just see if they work and... You know, I think this I think this is a positive step. Yeah, it is. I agree. It's well, I mean, it's it's definitely one that's good, that's gonna you know make the the rugby championship this year really kind of stand out a lot more. Um, and hopefully, you know, take you know some strong you know games to to, to to places which haven't necessarily you know get rugby all the time. I do think it's an interesting decision to play uh, you know a Bledisloe in Melbourne um, at Marvel Stadium. I think that uh, that's a a very interesting place to you know to, to take a game and especially considering you know i reckon that they could very easily sell out uh marvel stadium where with the performance like you know uh, with a blood is low like that um jack what do you what, what match are you uh, especially looking forward to uh, in this upcoming you know wallabies fixtures um yeah it's interesting that the uh the blood this year i think is going back to two tests um so it just raises the stakes even more um i'm a little concerned that the you know about the midweek test to be honest like uh i don't know whether it's a it's a permanent move going forward because we've um pushed back the push back the bledisloes to you know that that mid-september which which clashes with um the finals of all the other codes i don't know if that's the the smartest move going around um and then that the fact that they you know haven't haven't confirmed you know wallabies put out a confirmed our 2022 fixtures and they've haven't confirmed one of the they actually haven't confirmed one of the oh, yeah. New South Wales so um but uh I think that Adelaide move is is interesting uh, I think that's got to do with the the World Cup and they want to show you know that they can take it all over Australia and, and 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 get a good crowd and spread the matches out throughout the country so I'm hoping that's a that's a great turnout I reckon they will get a good turnout in in, in Adelaide. Um, you know, it's a, it is a big statement, please, particularly against the likes of of, a, of an of you know, still the number one ranked team in the world in South Africa. Um, you know, even despite their losses to you know Australia last year, that may have you know re- removed some of the sheen. Um, I mean, they definitely bounced back against the All Blacks and then went on and did a fan, had a really successful tour of uh, of Europe um, as well. So, you know, it's it'll definitely make the, the, the clashes very, very tantalizing. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting point. And, you know, the one from, that I'm also particularly excited about is the fact that in, within these fixtures, uh, you know, within the, the rugby championship, we've always opened up against, you know, we've played against the All Blacks. And I often find that when it comes to hitting the ground running um, in the tournament, New Zealand are much better at doing that, that than the Wallabies are. Um, even though our Super Rugby teams are certainly challenging that uh, assumption right now this year, that that will be the case um, with their performances, you know, backing up uh, after you know after Super Round. But uh, I'm really excited to see how we go after having played two games in Argentina, um, two games against the Springboks after the England series, and then finishing it off with a series against the All Blacks, um, two Test match series. Um, and considering how our teams are looking at the moment, I'm, you know, you're going into that game as probably as prepared you could as you could be for a Bledisloe series. Um, and hopefully it means Absolutely. that we'll just, yeah. Do you reckon it's, 
you know, obviously winning in New Zealand is no easy feat. I think that's the match that, that I mean, obviously we've got to win in Australia, but uh, yeah. it's one thing for us to win in Australia. It's a whole entirely different kettle of fish to win in New Zealand um, as well. So what do you yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's a good move. Yeah, bumping it back to the uh, the end of the schedule. I've sort of been talking about that for a while now. How you know, the, our our momentum gets you know sucked out straight away when we lose those couple Bledisloe matches. So uh, especially for Australian audiences, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but you only, and you only need to look at the you know some of the matches that South Africa and New Zealand have had over the years. You know they. They have always finished off the, the the championship against each other, and those games have been some of the best games that they've played, um, and uh, you know that we've seen you know in in of recent years. So I'm really excited to see how that shows out. Um, but not just the Wallabies. Let's also talk Wallaroos. Um, so the Wallaroos have uh, you know are heading into the into the World Cup, and we have the first of a whole bunch of Test matches coming. First up, the one this Friday. Um, at Suncorp Stadium. Um, but the Wallaroos have got six matches leading into the into the World Cup, which is just absolutely fantastic. Um, they're playing this Friday against Fiji. Then on the, the following Tuesday, they head to Bond University to play a match against Japan. And then they head over to New Zealand for the Pacific Four Series, which we've been hearing about for a little while, but it's now good to see that the fixtures are all uh, are all locked in. Um, we've got their first match against the New Zealand women's team. Um, then they've got the USA team. Uh, they've got the Canadian team. Um, and, oh, sorry, they actually do have two more other, other test matches afterwards. They've also got two more matches against uh, against the Black Ferns as well. So that's eight matches leading into the Women's World Rugby World Cup, um, which is super exciting. Um, you know, so we've got, yeah, eight matches actually of, uh, to, for, the, uh, for the women's side. Let's uh, similar to the to the you know however we talk about the Wallabies whenever they go into you know an upcoming series or an upcoming season. Let's let's look at them and ask what a good pass mark for our, our women's our women's team is. Um, you know it's been a really positive Super W uh, season. Obviously we didn't we didn't actually get the chance to talk about the, uh, the the fantastic final that was played out between the Fijiana Drua and the and the Waratahs with the, obviously the Drua claiming uh, claiming the trophy uh, in that regard. But it was an absolutely incredible match um, that really you know served as a as a a fantastic shining example of just how far women's rugby has come um, and how far it will continue to grow uh, over the next you know couple of years. Um, what do we reckon? I'll throw to you first, uh, Natho, for this. What's uh, what do you think would be an ideal, you know, circumstance in terms of uh, results for our Australian girl for the uh, for the Wallaroos as they head into these upcoming Test matches? I think you look at the, the these two coming up in the next couple of days. I think we, we need we need two wins. Like you look at the, I mean, Fiji. Sure, we saw the, how good the Drua did, but you you looked. If you anyone watched that game on Stan's Spot between Fiji and Japan, you can tell Japan were a class above, even though Fiji put a decent fight up. But even still, we, you know, Japan is, is a team in the past that we've. It's usually been usually been a team that we've beaten comfortably. I mean, you look back at 2019, the two games we played then, 34-5 and 46-3 wins. So we, you got to expect that we beat Japan and Fiji to start with. As for the pack four, that's a bit. That's a bit bit tough competition which i like to see i mean we're playing u.s and canada who are canada third u.s seven 
and also, you know, all black, oh no, all blacks, black ferns who are second. I think you've got to try and get at least one, one possibly two wins out of that, and then try and get a, a win out of one out of the three New Zealand games. So, I reckon well, we said eight games was there. Yeah, reckon, it's eight games. Yeah, so there's the there's the two the the two internationals here in in in, in Queensland. There's three Pacific four matches, um, uh, and then there's hang on a minute. Have I have I got my maths horrendously wrong here? I think I have. <laughs> Yeah, I have. But we're not we're not a maths podcast. Yeah, let me let me do this again. Seven, seven. the seven. Seven, that's right. Wait, I am sorry. Yes, you're right. Sorry. Whenever I saw Pacific Four, and I instantaneously thought, oh, there's four games happening. So silly me. Yeah. So there's the Japan. There's a game against Fiji. Japan. One first game against New Zealand. Uh, USA, Canada, and then two more games against the Blackburns. So seven matches. I stand corrected. Yeah, if, if you've listened to this podcast so well, you know we're not a math podcast. We are not yeah. a math podcast. We literally have an episode called How Not to Do the Math. So, <laughs> Regardless, I know this is probably going to sound boring because, you know, it's literally a pass mark, but I think you've got to look at four wins. Four wins? Just, it, it just builds that confidence that you need for a World Cup that you can actually match it with some of the teams. Like, obviously, New Zealand are going to be one of the favourites to win on home soil. You know, England, obviously, is the big favourite, but outside of them... New Zealand probably looks like your best chance to knock them off. If we want to compete with the others in our group, which I believe is Scotland and Wales, mm. like we have to, we have to start building wins, uh, particularly after two years of inactivity. I think you need, but both wins against Fiji and Japan, at least one, possibly two, against US and Canada. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a, a good guess. If you can get four, four out of seven ain't bad. Um, especially, you know, particularly with this Fiji and Japan game. Um, Jack, what are your thoughts? What do you think is a pass mark uh, for the Wallaroos? Sorry, Wales and Scotland. Yeah. Sorry, I'll just put it in. Sorry, it was Wales and Scotland playing in the World Cup. We've, got a, we've got a lot of fixtures flying around at the moment right now. So, I mean, I'm just excited yeah. by the fact that we have so many fixtures flying around um, I get to, and I get to talk about them, um, especially compared to years gone by. So, excuse our, excuse our giddiness. <laughs> yeah, it's about time that you know the women's got some fixtures after what two years of no games. That's that's kind of ridiculous to think about. Um, and it'll be interesting test this week when they come up against um, Fiji because it's basically Fijiana Super W team up against the Tars Super W team. So uh, it'll be a rematch of sorts, and and that'll be a good measuring stick of where they are because. Last uh, over the weekend, Japan beat Fiji, so you know I, I would say if we can beat Fiji, we can we can beat Japan, um, and then coming into that Pacific Nations Cup, yeah, Canada and, and US are you know strong sides, let alone the Black Ferns. So if we can notch a you know we might notch a win against either USA or Canada, and um, you know if we put in some good performances against the Black Ferns, I think that sets us up for a really good run coming into the world cup. And, and can we just, can we just talk about the, uh, the, uh, the first nations Jersey that the Wallaroos released? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Isn't How it amazing? <laughs> I think what, what also makes it better as well is you, I mean, the ceremony that goes with this great as well, but you legitimately have, you have five Wallaroos in the side, which actually have first nation heritage. I think, I was trying to was working it out with a, with a great man Jim Tucker today, and yeah. the most he could, he could recall it ever picked on the national side was four, back in 
I, I think it was back 2007, in like 2016, something two, like that. 2011. It was uh, Kurtley, oh, Rafinha, and, wow. and Matt Hodson. You have yeah, you know, Mahalia Murphy, Grace Kemp, Laurie Kramer, Matty Shuck, and um, Lillian Mason Spice, all first proud First Nation women who will probably get the chance to wear that jersey at some time over this international calendar. Like it's it's truly inspirational. That's a word for it. Mm. Yeah. How good would it say to see the you know the Wallaroos make the World Cup final wearing the First Nations jersey? Oh, that's something that, that's something we can all look forward to. Oh, how good would that be? Yeah, and 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 they could sing the national anthem uh, and sing in the local indigenous uh, language as well. How, similar how the Wallabies did it a few years back in Newcastle. So they really need to bring that back. I when they did that years ago, I absolutely loved it. They should. They really should. It, um, it's, but it's it's one of those things that's that's tough because you know so many different languages. Because mm. so, especially you know it's, I, that's why they, they usually only did it in Sydney. Well, that was my understanding was because yeah, because every single time you have to learn it in the local language. Um, you know, but, which is. Which is a you know, there's there's so many different languages out there, um, but it's doable. It, it, oh, it's, oh, absolutely, it's doable. And it, it, the fact the fact that they're already wanting to, you know, that we're standing down the edge of of, of such a, a proud and strong uh, indigenous representation in the game, especially for the Wallaroos, is just it's fantastic. And seeing it become you know a, a massive part of our of our game would be something that we just all welcome. Yes, please, more of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so exciting. It's so exciting to see just the, the, the fact that this team is just looking so good and that they have so many matches, um, that we, that we can enjoy coming, coming up, uh, which is just great. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement with both of you. I'm actually particularly excited for the USA and Canada games. Um, because I mean, historically we actually haven't ever beaten the USA or Canada. Um, obviously, of course, our record is only, you know, we've only had about, I think, 55, 60 test matches for the, for, for our women's team. But obviously, that's going to change. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can start to grab a couple of really good wins um, against, you know, teams like the US, who have traditionally been, you know, one of the stronger women's rugby teams and teams like Canada. Um, and hopefully, you know, God... Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if if the blood is low is a, is is a, is a shock this year, but to grab a first win against New Zealand, that would be something special. Um, try that would, yeah. Just try and get that O'Reilly Cup. That would be that. That'd be such is a it, boost. But oh, the, yeah. Sorry, the O'Reilly Cup. That's right. Apologies. But it's getting that first win. That's and sure, with the inactivity has absolutely sucked for the Warriors. But you feel like if you if you beat New Zealand, all of a sudden. Like that's that that's perfect prep. You you've got the confidence to say, you know what, we can match with any team if we can beat New Zealand in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, let's talk about uh, let's move on, on to question four. Um, because on the subject of you know upcoming games and stuff, we we've been doing a, a series about the Wallabies. Uh, we're talking about player depth analysis. Last podcast we talked about the front row, um, around the depth of you know our props and our hookers and we had a lot of things to say we think you know hookers are we're, in a, we're looking like we're in a really solid space uh, sorry props rather we're looking like we're in a very solid space but hookers is obviously the kind of the one of the, the one position where you know we're a bit you know on on the on the fence about a little bit but we did have a you know a good discussion about that but this week we're going to talk the engine room of the scrum we're going to talk locks 
Um, and I, I'm particularly giddy to talk about this one because uh, because the depth in our squad looks absolutely fantastic. For reference, I'll include a a, a file in the description which will highlight the players that you know that we've compiled um, of you know upcoming depth in in our squads. Um, Jack, I'm going to throw to you first so you can have um, so you can have a look at this. Uh, obviously, we've we've picked a couple of guys, uh, and this is kind of you know the pick the guys that we've picked on have been based you know off recent performances and who's played the most. And you've got your likes of Salakai Loto, Isaac Rodder, and, and Matt Phillip, who've been kind of the, the majority of the play of the locks who've, who've started and, and kicked on. But you've also got your Darcy Swains. How do you think we are sitting uh, in terms of depth going into uh, this upcoming England series? Yeah, I think we're in a pretty good position. You. you... You think back to maybe a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, during COVID, you know, we lo- we lost a lot of our locking stocks and, and there was a bit of a, you know, pe- people were, you know, calling it a locking crisis. But now that we've sort of brought a few players back, Isaac Rodder being the big one, Matt Phillip came back from overseas, we're, we're kind of looking good at the moment. Um, I think Jed Holloway, he's been playing out of his skin um, and Darcy Swain as well. Nick Frost looks set to, you know, renege on his Japanese deal and stay in Australian rugby. And that's a huge, huge in because he's got a big future. Um, but I'd say uh, for the England series, I, I'd have to go with um, Isaac Rodder and and probably Matt Phillip. Do you think, though, and, and let's, let's throw in a hypothetical here because you, you mentioned Jed Holloway um, and... He has really been playing extremely well, but also, you know, Darcy Swain, um, who, you know, who won us that French series uh, by seal- by shutting down that uh, that that mall in, in the final game. Um, and do, do you think that uh, there is a chance for a bolter? Um, even though Philip, I would argue that, you know, Philip and Rodder have both been in excellent form, um, you know, mm. but, you know, for both the Force and, and the Rebels, respectively. What do you think? Uh, do you think that we may potentially see a bolter? Because I mean, we definitely do have plenty of upcoming, growing, you know, definitely lots of, of potential bolters in in our locks, uh, in our lock stocks right now. I think so. I think you just you look at some of that, look at some of the talent coming through. I would argue Jed Holloway is a bolter coming through. Philip and Rodder are you probably your main, your main two options, as Jack alluded to. So you look at that bench option and you think, what do you go for? Do you go for someone like Swain who can close down a game, or do you go for Holloway? I think, I think Dave's Dave was pretty telling on Monday. The comment that not many people picked up on, but him saying Jed Holloway, he was saying he's not sure if he's a lock or a or a Lucy, but he he's comfortable playing him in both positions. And I think when you look at, as Jack said, Philip and Rudder are probably your top two um, at the moment. So they start. You look at Holloway and go, well, if we play him at, if we play him as a bench option, he covers lock and six. Maybe then we can, you know, be a bit more experimental with our loose forward option. Maybe go for a specialist seven of some kind. Not sure which one might be, you know, standing out <laughs> the moment, particularly for the Reds. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think you just you go with someone like Holloway. It just gives you that option to he can cover multiple positions. As Jack said, he's in red hot form. I think if we're if we're picking a Wallaby squad or at the moment, I think he might just find a way to be that bolter that gets into the side. My bolter would probably be Nick Frost. Yeah, I think he he was in training camp, 
Um, and I think this year he's, he's really pushed on. Um, I think he, he's out at the moment, isn't he? But uh, if he can make that England series or e- even for the rugby championship, I think he's going to get a cap soon enough. But also someone who has showed he can play six as well. So there's you. all of a sudden, he's, I think either of those two just provide that extra cover, which would almost set him apart. Yeah, I think he is. Uh, I think he is injured at the moment. Just having a look at it here, but I'm curious that uh, you know, because I mean, looking at this, I mean, we've also got Salakai Loso. Um, do we think that he hasn't just he just hasn't been up to standard, or he hasn't really had the chance to really show up to you know, kind of show yeah. show us the standard he's up to? Because I mean, he is an international lock. There's no denying it. But uh, do you think he's he would be you know your tried and true pick, or would you stick with a bolter? Um, because that's kind of the the, the one think, kind of yeah. anomaly standing out to me right now. I mean, it's good. It's the right discussion to have first and foremost. I mean that that your sport for choice, um, and this is probably and of the you know the positions that we will be discussing in terms of you know where we're at. Um, this is definitely one of the the stronger positions that we find ourselves in in terms of wallaby depth. Um, but yeah, do you do you stick with do you stick with international expertise or do you go with the bolter? I think, yeah, in terms of Salakai Loto, I think he's fallen right down the pecking order, not not through any fault of his own, but I think, you know, the our locking standards in Australia has just, just improved and there's a lot of guys putting their hands up. I think you combine that especially with, I mean, not a, he's seemed to fall off the pecking order at international level, but when you look at the Reds themselves, you look at Blythe and Ryan Smith, two guys who have really come on this year. I think he just finds himself just in that awkward position of, already heading overseas with two really good young locks ahead of him at club level. You just wonder where's he going to find or where's he going to get that game time to all of a sudden push your other options or other potential selections. Yeah. You know, if you look at how many locks you pick in a squad, Philip and Rodder pick themselves, you know, a Swain probably gets picked as well. So you're all of a sudden, you probably only have one or two spots left where you're looking between frost Holloway, um, even yet, two Reds guys I mentioned. Even you want to bring back a Rory Arnold or um, Caden Neville. I know Rennie seems to be high on. So all of a sudden, he's battling with four or five players who are playing a lot more consistent minutes than him already on the outer. I just don't see how he – he just might not have the amount of time to really show – not show, but, you know, kind of impress enough to earn that selection back in the Wallaby side. So, final question then on that is: so I'm assuming that you're both in agreement then that Philip and Rodder are our starting locks. Uh, you, you're going into Test One against uh, against the English, and you're picking Philip and Rodder. So, who is your bolter? Um, unless you disagree, unless Philip and Rodder is not is not who you'd start with. I'd have yeah, I'd have Philip and Rodder starting with uh, Swain coming off the bench. That's what I'd do. Yeah, I agree with the starters. I think Phillips has been one of the best players from an Australian side this year. Rodder has been very underrated as well for the force. But as alluded to before, I think I'd just go Jed Holloway for that versatility that he can bring and a bit more, bit more experience, a bit more of a sort of older head around, around what is still a pretty young squad in terms of age-wise. So I think he'd be he'd be my replacement with the two starters, as you mentioned, for that first test against England. Yeah, it's 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 the right it's the right problem to have. I'm gonna lo- side with Jack on this one. I think Swain would be your perfect uh, your perfect bloke coming off the bench. Um, it's the art. That's all it is. 
it's the art that uh, that he has uh, making his way through a mall and being able to shut it down. It's the right position. It, it, the depth that we have in that position is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'll include a link to the uh, a, a, an image of, of of the kind of depth that we have available in the description, so you can check it out for yourself. Question five, penultimate question of the podcast. We've been going on a while, so we'll we'll try and uh, you know make this quick and quick and fast. But we've had a whole bunch of really good Q and A questions uh, drop in over the weekend, um, and we'll th- I'll throw to, throw this to these questions to both of you, um, courtesy of uh, of all the folks who have uh, who've thrown this out. Thank you to all of you. First from Cudmore Jock, how do we crack down on the increase in players staying? down to get TMO slash foul play review. It might be hyperbole, but I reckon they've increased a lot since the French captain did it in Brisbane last year. Obvious one uh, from this weekend just gone was Geordie Barrett. Um, do we look at a sin bin or something? Um, I feel like this is a discussion that we we, we have most weeks and most people, are cons- like there's been a definite, there's, there's definitely a lot of people noticing how much the influence of cards are having in the game. Um, Nathan, what are your thoughts on this one? Do you reckon it's uh, a case of a sin bin or a, a staying down or get, trying to get into TMO slash play review? What are our thoughts on this? I think, I mean, you, referencing the French player, that was a real, real bad case of it. And I think if you, if you go to that level where it's quite clear the player hasn't hit you high and you, you stay down trying to milk it, there should be something in, in place, which I think it's called simulation in football. Um, if you get caught doing that, instant reverse penalty. I'm not sure Sinbin's the answer yet, but if it gets that bad, 100%. But I don't know. My, my fear with this is if you if you feel someone hits you in the head and you go down, like, you're going to get penalised. You're probably going to – the other team's going to cop the penalty regardless. If it, anyone anyone's followed the rugby league, the case of Matt Lodge has been in talking point. You know, a New Zealand Warriors player who basically did that, felt that he got hit in the head. You know, they would, I think, down by two, you know, went down, waited for the team out to check. They call the penalty. They kick the penalty goal, goal to tie it up, and they win it an extra time. Like, it's it's something that is just becoming a part of sport. And, it, and I think it comes, with the, it comes with a crackdown. So I'm not, you know, maybe having a simulation penalty is the right answer, but I'm not sure if it's something you can actually crack down on, if, especially if someone is legitimately hitting the head, like, do we, do we get to the stage where we're saying, well, he wasn't hit that hard? And that kind of, and then all of a sudden you go against the kind of what this whole thing was. It's just, I, I think I'm not quite sure really how to deal with it, to be honest. Is it a case, Jack, of just of uh, of getting of just bringing Nigel Owens out of retirement and giving and giving players who do it the uh, the Stuart Hogg treatment and telling him to come back and play soccer in two weeks? <laughs> Or is it a case that yeah. we just? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it's uh, really reached uh, soccer level, so uh, I'm not sure it's uh, much of an issue to be honest. You know, as Nato said, you get hit in the head, you're going to have some reaction. Sure, they play it up. You know, Nick White got taken off the ball in, in the Brumbies game, and he, you know, he could have won an Oscar for that. But I don't. I don't. It's 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 not. It's a non-issue. Play on, I reckon. Well, I just hope that the the folks stop doing it. I mean. No, no further example. I watched the Matildas of all, you know, of all things, and unlike the the, you know, ex- seeing as everyone jokes about it happening in football, um, while men's teams have, I've seen carry on with it a little bit, what Matildas do if they get knocked over, they get up and they keep playing. <laughs> Just get up and keep playing. If you're actually injured, then go down, and you're likely going to get the penalty. Uh, 
just just play on. It's a bit ridiculous. Um, Saint Drogo uh, has a question regarding the test locations, which we've uh, obviously been talking about. He says it is great to take the game to new markets, but should quote unquote traditional rugby locations be preference to try and get back fans whose support has lapsed? I think it would be easier to get back a former fan than to get a new one. Jack, do we agree uh, on uh, with Saint Drago? Let me guess. Saint Drago is from Queensland. <laughs> I think, especially especially in the run to the World Cup, I think we've got to you know go outside our comfort zone. Yes, yeah, so I, I get I get the idea that you know the the traditional heartlands still have to be looked after and catered for, and you know we've got got great track record in Brisbane, but um, you know if we're going to be um, you know, compete on a global level. We, we've got to spread the love, and 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 the non-traditional areas they've got to show up as well. Um, you know, otherwise it it will keep going to to these you know Sydney and, and Brisbane. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. It's I'm I'm curious uh, on on his log on the on the logic around you know that that, that it would be easier to get back a former fan than get a new one. Nathan, do you uh, do you agree? Is it a case of just keeping traditional folks happy, or is it a case of just sky's the limit? It's it's time to refocus what rugby is and where rugby can be played and and where the but more specifically where teams like the Wallabies play. I think it's an interesting discussion, and I kind of already kind of let my answer out with with my whole Queensland rant, but I, I think it's it's one of those things, you know, you're trying to get back a lapsed fan. I mean, we're still having tests in our major markets of, you know, there's still one in there's one in Brisbane, two in Sydney, one in Perth. I would argue Melbourne is still a is still a not a lapse or not a I don't think I'll call it a new market. It's probably in between a new market and traditional, but you really try and target them with a with an all bucks game. I think it's – I'm not sure it's easier to get a former fan back than a new one. Like, if you're – particularly in, in a market like Adelaide, you look at a winter sport, what the winter sports options are, I think they'd be more likely to pick up – if you had a had a consistent Wallabies game there, I think you'd be, they'd be more likely to pick that up than a, than a, a lapsed fan because it's a, it's a new product to them. And with that comes no real – not as much scarring of the past, if you, if you, to, to put it – to put it pretty bluntly, like, you know, you have, you don't say a former fan, as in his words, or a lapsed fan, like, you've, a lot of them would have gone through that, the heartbreak of rock, rocking up to games and watching a team get blown out. Whilst Adelaide, you know, they're maybe more of a casual fan, but if you give them a South Africa game and you, you know, a team which we usually do well against in Australia, and all of a sudden they might see a winning performance, they'll go, well, this is great, like, you know, Outside of that, can be that's kind of almost that second winter sport outside of AFL. So I think when you look at it, you look at new markets like Adelaide, I think I don't think it should be prioritised, but I think you still need. I think it's a good move to try and see if you can make something work there because I, I do think there is an there's an avenue that you can be south south of, that second option for South Australians, and all of a sudden that's that competitive advantage that you have is particularly as we've talked on coming up to a world cup in both world cups in 27 and 29. So I think it's, you've got to find that balance. And I think it's, it's, it's a tough one, but it's, it's something that it just needs to be explored. And that's what, that's what I'm, I'm happy to say that they're doing this year round. 
Yeah, and I think it also success breeds success. So if you, ha- if for example, something ha- something like you get a sellout at, at at Adelaide, and you know the Wallabies put in a fantastic performance, beat the box, and you know uh, there's a, a, a genuine community desire for more rugby like that, interest in you know say the Coopers Premier Grade grows, um, and again this is all off the fact that you know it, like you say uh, that if we if we win the 2027 and 2029 World Cup um pitches more games are going to be played there um in in those non-traditional places why not embrace that and surely even if you even if you have you know your non-traditional fans uh, embracing it and loving the game in a new way that the game hasn't seen before wouldn't that be something that you know lots of folks also want to get behind uh as a result um i i personally think that going out to while of course you know you always have those games being played in traditional locations i mean that's literally where all of our super rugby teams are and that's where the vast majority of wallabies games have been played so why not why not throw it out to you know to other locations and other places why not embrace the new i think um good discussion great great topic let us know in the comments and and on your thoughts on uh, on this particular question it's a good one thank you uh saint droko um penultimate one on Q&A Jamie Sports Twit asks should Brumbies fans launch a hashtag scrum straight Aiden campaign this week after what we've seen from the Chiefs recently Jack what is this rorting what is going on here yeah yeah it, it's it's come up during the week that um you know I think it was covered on Stan Sport there's a bit of funny business going on at um in the scrums especially against the Reds but I'm not sure we can talk because uh you know, Daniela Tupo's been doing <laughs> that his whole career, so uh, <laughs> I don't think we want to. I don't think we want to draw too much attention to it, to be honest. Um, it'll be in an interesting battle. Um, even even last week against the Hurricanes, the Brumbies, um, they were they were pushed off the the scrum a few times, but um, they seemed to sort of correct it, um, especially when James Slipper came on. So, yeah, intriguing battle in the in, in the dark arts, as they say. Is it? Nathan, is it a case that the the Chiefs have just found a new way to try and uh, try and tip the, the scales of the scrum in their favour, and uh, we need to punish them duly for it, or is it or is it a case of just let the boys play and you find a way to if 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 there aren't any laws around them doing whatever they're doing, don't then it's not a problem. I mean, it's scrummaging. Like everyone's going to try and find a find a way around it. It's such a convoluted thing that even players don't understand it at the best of times. Like. I think it's, it was interesting to note, you know, Reds had brought to the referee's attention. It didn't really get addressed. But, I mean, it's kind of, I think it's just something just... A lot of it is perception, I find, with scrums. Is you just you just, just got to get on top of them early, and then all of a sudden, you, a referee's... It feels like a referee's going to be more likely to notice that sort of stuff or pick up if a, if a scrum starts going sideways. You know, they'll start to notice it and really punish the other team for it. As for starting a, a campaign, keep Nick White as captain. That's all you need. You know, screw, <laughs> screw a petition. He'll he'll bark the referee's ear, ear off in the first fifteen minutes. He'll he'll understand what he's looking for real quick. So I think I think they're they're going to be right with that. But I mean, as Jack said, if you even though Scott Sayo has been playing well, this might be where you just bring in James Slepper to hopefully have Alan Altol back this week. Just bring those guys back just to steady the scrum and be like, all right, let's see, let's see how you play when you can't can't wheel a scrum. 
Yeah, it's a. Uh, it'll be one one to watch when uh, when the the game kicks off in Waikato this week, this upcoming weekend. And then far, finally, last question in the Q and A comes from a certain Hick Nartman. Um, he shall remain, you know, he's an interesting character, Hick Nartman, fan of the pod. Shout out to Hick. Um, and he asked the question: Is uh, Mahahi Vialanu the second coming of Tatafi Pilota now? Um, Nathan, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? I mean, he doesn't tackle with his head, so probably not. <laughs> nah. In in all, in all seriousness, mate, he's got that cult hero like status. He could be he could be the next Tafu. Like he's he runs the ball as hard as you like. He's tackles everything that moves. Like he's he's such a good player. And he's he's just he's one of those guys that just has followed Coleman no matter where he's gone, and he's just seems to improve wherever he ends up. And you know, I still think Dave Dave Precky's your number one, but he's definitely made a case to be picked on the bench this weekend, and he could really set himself up with a couple of game-winning performances if he can come off the bench and just lift that wild-tail scrum, which they, which I think they, they struggled with at the start of the season, particularly that Fijendra uh, round one game came to, comes to mind where they just got absolutely smacked around. So if he, if he can nut out his position as that finisher, come on and really seal a game, I think he can absolutely get up to the get up to TPN status. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll yeah. definitely be one to watch, but uh, especially particularly if he goes in, if he comes into competition with Horton. Um, but the real question, Jack, uh, the do we do we, are we seeing the second coming of TPN? Is uh, are you in agreement with the uh, with the with the statement yeah. made by Mister Hick? Yeah, I like I like his style. I reckon. Uh, yeah, he's got he's got the talent to to stick around at, at Tarland for a for a fair while. So let's hope um, you know he keeps putting in these good performances and, and gets. You know, plenty of minutes um, while the other guys are out and and cement his spot. Um, yeah, he could he could definitely reach that cult hero status. Everyone that you know, everyone that you talk to says he's a great bloke, and um, yeah, he, he, I'm glad to see he's getting an opportunity at at Super Rugby level after um, you know great performances in Shoot Shield. Yeah, it'll definitely be one to watch, which will be fantastic. Um, let's finish off with our last question of the night. We've been going for nearly two hours. Let's uh, let's bring this one home and talk about predictions for the weekend. Um, let's make it a quick rapid fire. Uh, so the Blues will be taking on the Rebels in Eden Park. Reds will be facing the Highlanders at Suncorp Stadium. Moana Pacifica will welcome the Waratahs in Auckland. The Chiefs will play the Brumbies in Waikato. Force will host the Crusaders in Perth. And then finally, the Hurricanes return to the cake tin to play the Fijian Drua. Um, Natho, throw to you first. Who's, who is going to win each of these games? By how much? Where will the game be won and lost? Uh, I think Blue, uh, even after saying the Rebels still have a decent shot of an upset, I think the Blues win. They've just got too much quality across the deck and being back at Eden Park, they'll say they take it by 10. Um might be an unpopular opinion. I just, I just see the Highlanders somehow finding a way to win. I think their se- their season's on the line against a road side, which is missing a couple of their really key players. They, they, they get it done by three or four points, and just, it just keeps this team going. Um, Waratahs, this is this has been the spot in the past where Waratahs have failed to back it up, but I, I think this is a di- this is a different team, and they've shown. Particularly those kind of back-to-back wins where they kind of just uh, rebels and Western Force, in particular, come to mind. But they just, even with a poor performance, got it done. They they win by ten. Uh, go another upset. Say Brumbies get it done over the Chiefs. Really send a message to the, your big dogs there. They Whoa. get it done by ten. 
I reckon, I reckon like the Chiefs have been good, and I agree with Jack. They've flown under the radar, but I think they get it done. Also, in in predicting this, if I'm right, if all if all three of my last predictions come true, the Waratahs go to fourth, and I really want that. <laughs> that that might be guiding my predictions. Who knows? Um, <laughs> as for the other two, I th- um, Crusades probably, as we alluded to, they're going to be hurting. They'll they'll beat the force by fifteen. Hurricanes beat Drew by twenty five. Good picks, solid picks. Um, Jack, any uh, any yeah. differentiations off? Uh, yeah, off- after after this round, I'm feeling pretty uh, cocky and confident. So. Um... <laughs> I think yeah, uh, rebel. You know, I reckon okay. Blues by, blues by seven. I reckon the Reds get it done over the Highlanders at Suncorp. Uh, Waratahs, yeah, they'll they'll blow Moana Pacifica away. Uh, ooh, Crusaders by three over the Western Force. <laughs> um, Brumbies. Uh, we'll get it done over the Chiefs in the Waikato. Um, they'll be too too strong. Um, and then, hmm, Hurricanes and Fiji Drua is a is a tricky one. Um, but I think I think the Hurricanes have the weapons to to shut down the the Drua, so I think they'll they'll get the job done there. Oh, so many interesting uh, interesting thoughts right now. Um, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Rebel uh, that the Rebels uh, are going to have a have a tough day at the office against the Blues, but I hope that they do show up. I I, I know I, I do get your point, Nathan, around the Reds and the Highlanders. I really do because just that confidence thing will be a killer, and New Zealand teams capitalise on that. But I think that <clears throat> having seeing as we've been very we've been bullying Queenslanders all of this podcast, um, I think it's fair for for me to finish off by saying I actually think the Reds will win this game, um, not because of the bullying, but because I actually think that right now they need a, a performance to really pull them all together. And even though you know they've lost a lot of key players, we've been talking about the depth of this Reds side for years, and the depth of this Reds side is very good. It's uh, and with someone like you know, Brad Thorne coaching, this is a match they need to close out and they should close out. Um, you know, I think that this is a match that, that they can win and it'll be just the shot in the arm that they need to, to finish the season strongly and put themselves, you know, really mark themselves as, oh, no, hey, we haven't gone away. We are still contenders here and we do want to win this this competition. Um, agreed Waratahs will get home against Moana Pacifica, although I think Moana Pacifica is really improving week on week and uh, will definitely make it a lot closer than uh, than most folks think. Um, oh, gee, I can't pick this one. I cannot pick Chiefs and Brumbies. I just, I do not know how this game is going to go. It would be nice to have, uh, of, of all the games that, that sees Australian teams over in New Zealand, this is the one that I'm, you know, most excited for. Um, it's pure heart for me for, for just to go with Brumbies. It's the fan coming out. Um, but Full acknowledgement of the of the fact that this chief side is very good, um, and that you know beating them in Waikato is a tough tough assignment. Yeah, Crusaders beat the Force, um, but I definitely think it's going to be by five because this is just how the Force operates in Perth right now. Like they're amazing, they're a great side, but they just keep losing by five points or less. So Crusaders will get that done, and Hurricanes will put the draw to town. I reckon it's going to be a you know. Uh, 10 point winning probably uh, in Wellington. 
I was going to say one one final thing. Uh, Wallaroos by fifteen plus in both games. Oh yes, we do. Yes, we should. Uh, we should add that. We'll add it. Let's let's add that prediction in Wallaroos. Um, let's talk. Uh, yeah, let's talk Wallaroos predictions. First game against Fiji uh, on Friday at Suncorp, and then the second game against Japan uh, at Bond Uni. Um, so you're saying you're saying the Fiji by uh, the Waller, Wallabies, the Wallaroos rather by fifteen over Fiji. Yeah, I reckon they get it done pretty easy. I think there's. Yes, we saw Fiji aren't the best, but two uh, uh, but Wallaroos is a different prospect. Test rugby is a different prospect. They get it done easy, and then quickly moving on to Japan. Like Japan's going to be a bit of a step up, but as it's said in the past, you know this is a team we've had pretty good success with. I don't see why this is going to be different. You know, I think Fiji by fifteen. I say Japan by twenty-five. Oh, good predictions, Jack. Do you agree? Yeah, I'll go with that. I think. Um... Yeah, I think the Wallaroos will uh, go go well against the Fijiana. I think it's uh, sorry Fiji. Um, that's just that next step above. I think, especially when you have the uh, the, the pulling power of bringing in um, Queensland and the Brumbies, um, they'll, they'll be too strong for Fiji, and 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 I think they'll get the job done against Japan. I think Japan have improved over the last couple of years, but uh, I think they'll the Wallaroos will still be too strong. Agreed. Uh, you know, for it's uh, we want we want four out of seven. I reckon to the uh, for you know for the Wallaroos heading into the World Cup, and I and I see two of them this weekend. I reckon it'll be a fantastic game against Fiji. Everyone, go to Suncorp Stadium this weekend if you are in Queensland and go watch this game because it's going to be amazing. Um, and I also think that uh, the Bon Uni game will be fantastic as well because Japan's uh, wins team have really kind of come along in the last few years. Um, but I still see a win for the girls in gold. All right, let's wrap it up. We've been going for nearly two hours, but we had a lot to talk about. There's a, a lot of stuff has happened uh, in lot terms of, action. of lot of action. A lot of action. So, you, can you blame us? Can you blame us? I don't think you can. Um, it's it's been one it's been one of those weekends. And hey, if 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 we have many more weekends like this, we're going to have to to find a way to 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 be more succinct. Unless we'll be we unless you'll be strapping in for more two hour marathons. Um, it's been a good weekend of rugby. Can't complain. Um, thank you so much, guys, for for, for for tuning in for another episode of The Drop Kickoff. It's been a pleasure chatting with both of you. Always good to talk about rugby when we're winning. And to all of our listeners, we'll catch you the next time around. Well, what did go wrong? I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley Bombo? A bit of genius, a bit of magic. Shirley Bombo. Very interesting. Very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sereli Bombo. Very good, very good.